Welcome to the Sales Lead Dog Podcast, hosted by CRM technology and sales process expert, Christopher Smith, talking with sales leaders that have separated themselves from the rest of the pack. Listen to find out how the best of the best achieve success with their team and CRM technology. And remember, unless you are the lead dog, the view never changes. Welcome to Sales Lead Dog. Today we have joining us from outside Philadelphia, Tiffany Misenchek. Tiffany, welcome to Sales Lead Dog. Thank you so much. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I had to throw in the little Philly plug uh, just because, you know, I spent quite a bit of my life in that area and, you know, I love Philly. So uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. This is a great way uh, to end my day today. Awesome. Love to hear that. Tiffany, thinking back over your career, what are the three things that have driven or led to your success? Well, if I really am being honest with myself, I kind of, you know, it's it's interesting to reflect back on how you got here. And I think the three things, number one, the very first thing is I'm super gritty. And I don't know, I didn't recognize that until later in life. You know, I tell everybody I was um, exceptionally average (laughs) growing up. You know, I I really, I I did everything. I was into everything in school, but I got, you know, I was average on the sports teams and average grades and I did well, you know, but I was never the top. And what I looked back, you know, later in life, I looked back and I, I continued to succeed despite being kind of what I thought was average. And the real, the, the real factor was that I always was so determined. It didn't matter, you know, if I had a B instead of an A, I was determined to go to college, to finish in four years, to get a great job. And that just level of determination far exceeded, you know, kind of what I would call my probably skill and talent. And, and that continues probably to be true to this day. So number one, for sure, is grit, you know, just having that innately, you know, in me to always be thinking about more, you know, and doing more. Um, so, so I think the second thing I would say is that once you get into a, into a, a great position where you can start being successful, uh, you can't do that by yourself, you know, without others around you. And I think the other thing, uh, maybe the second thing that has contributed to my success is my real ability to work collaboratively with others and to really reach into other parts of the organization, build, you know, relationships and a network even internally that really matters. Because at the end of the day, when I need to get you know, everybody on board around a single strategy to go get a deal or to move the team in one direction, I need other people on board with me. And so that's a really important trait. And I think I really fine tune that over the years. It takes, it takes some um, work to, to do that, but that's an investment that's super worth it. Um, I think the last thing, the third thing, maybe not the last, <laughs> but is that I always, always have an opinion, you know? And so it's been important to me and I think it's helped me in my career to bring my voice to the table and not just 
uh, my voice, but a solution, you know, so never been shy of speaking up, always am thinking about how can we, you know, do better. And I bring that voice to every interaction without, you know, abandon at all. I mean, without any, you know, um, worry or hesitation. And, you know, that has served me well. Um, the, the other half of that is you have to listen when other people do that too. So I, I think those are the three things just today. <laughs> <laughs> those are, that's a great answer um, and very unique. You're the first one who said grit. You're actually, I think the first for all three. Um, <laughs> and we share, we definitely shared the last one. Oh boy, do I have opinions. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right, I mean, you gotta kind of just, you know, put them out there on the table and then find solutions and see how I can get there. So. That's right, that's right. Tiffany, tell us about your current role in your company. Sure, I'd love to, it's exciting. Um, I have, I, I am the vice president, president of sales for North America for Intellirad. I have been here for three months, roughly, um, and it is quite a fun ride thus far. So Intellirad, is you know really a global leader in um, work radiology workflows. We recently acquired two. We're growing like you know a weed here, and we recently acquired um, two cardiology and OB you know companies, and that expands our footprint into hospitals and health systems dramatically, so that we can now truly provide an enterprise imaging solution to hospitals and health systems. And, you know, I've spent my entire career selling to and building relationships with hospitals and health systems. And it's just super exciting to be a part of this growth at Intellirad and, you know, to help really execute on this, this true vision um, and, and growth plan. It's, it's, it's an amazing time to be here, so. That's awesome. And for people that, maybe don't have much healthcare experience, that's a huge problem you're solving, correct? It is. Um, I can give you uh, some personal examples. You know, my I have a, a very acutely critically ill sister, younger sister, and she has been for some time. And if you just think about when, uh, her name is Brittany, when she goes in and oftentimes she ends up in an ED and she needs immediate care, something's really wrong. Um, I will tell you that just, she spent 10 days in the hospital recently in kidney failure. Think about the moment you, you know, she's, she's entered into the ED and they need to do x-rays and get fast diagnosis. And they take the x-ray or the MRI, whatever that, you know, picture, right, is, and they need to quickly get it to the right radiologist, the right doctor who understands the, the right specialty, et cetera, in a critical you know, period of time, seamlessly. That's what Intellirad does every day. And what does that mean to the patient? It means that they get a faster diagnosis and it improves their, pay, their, their, their experience in the hospital. And ultimately we're looking for, you know, a better outcome, right? Yep. And, and so I'm so passionate about what I do, what I've always done in healthcare uh, because, you know, I have a sister who is my why. And um, it, you know, I'm, we all have our whys, 
but boy, being able to, to truly make an impact um, and understand that impact, you know, through personal experience, there's nothing like it. I have goosebumps listening to you. That's amazing. Oh. It, it, but it, people, I don't think people understand, you know, when you go into a big organization like a hospital, just how much technology and uh, uh, that flow of information, how critically important that is to the outcomes. It really is. And, you know, there are so many points of potential failure. So, you know, what we do is try to be, you know, the most performant company. We, you know, we have to have solutions that do what they say they're going to do. Um, those, you know, you miss a few minutes and a patient, you know, could die. I mean, that is, that's really what we're talking about here. So it's, it's a mission of Intellirad to improve patient lives, period. And I, I we do, and we do. Yep. That's awesome. Thinking back to when you got your start in sales, what do you wish you were taught in that first job? Mm, so much, <laughs> so much. <laughs> uh, you know, they, you know, uh, I, I often say that I've really appreciated getting older <laughs> because <laughs> the wisdom comes with it, right? So I don't mind um, as the numbers tick up. But if I look back years and years and years ago, I, my first job out of college, it was a sales job and I'm sure we'll get into that, but I was given, no joke, I was given a company car, a whole bunch of, you know, salary and bonus and money and said, you know, at 21 years old, they said, just go out and cover Indiana. And let me tell you what I didn't know then that I do now, the difference between responsibility and accountability. And it takes a while to get there. So I think, you know, you can be, of course, I was responsible in that role. I, you know, in a role, you're, you have certain responsibilities, right, to do, you know, make X number of sales calls, um, talk to this many clients, deliver the quota, whatever it is, right? You, you, you have, we have job descriptions that tell us what our responsibilities are. But nowhere will you find in any sales boot camp or training anywhere what it means to be accountable. And I, I wish, I wish I could write a book on that. I'm not sure I could, but, you know, I, I wish someone could have helped me understand that early, it probably would have, you know, saved me some, some pain early on in my career and, and probably embarrassment, you know, quite frankly. But, you know, accountability is taking true ownership. Um, not being a victim to, you know, again, understanding that you're truly responsible for whatever outcome, you know, comes, which is very different than a job task. Right. And, and so I, I would try, uh, I, you know, I certainly would suggest um, to anyone, <laughs> you know, starting out in their sales career, understand that, avoid, you know, going off a a cliff thinking that, you know, you're checking the box with your job. And then, you know, you find out that you didn't really, you weren't really performing, you know, and uh, taking ownership. It's, it's so important. It's something that never, it's the most important thing I, I could think of today, even to right now, you know, is holding, being able to hold yourself accountable. Um, so that that's, that's what I wish I probably had back then. 
Was there a specific moment or what was behind you making that connection to accountability? Well, I think it took time, but, you know, I've had a, a, a lot of, you know, ups and downs in my career. And, and if I look at, um, you know, if, if I look at them, I, to be honest with you, even in that early job where I was, and by the way, I was selling soap to grow my first sales job. I sold soap <laughs> to grocery stores. I worked for Unilever or Lever Brothers. You're probably familiar. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I, I mean, honestly, I was just flying high. I mean, I was like, woo, I, you know, I've got a company car and I was making more money than my friends who, you know, were poor getting out of college. And I thought I was so great. Let me tell you what happened. Um, I bought a house when I was 21 years old, you know, again, really like super responsible. Right. And then that, that same company who put me on this great high, they downsized everything and they outsourced their entire sales force to, you know, like part-timers. And it was like, they changed their entire structure. And from one day to the next, I found myself, you know, out of a job. Uh, didn't have a car because I had to get that back, you know, and I had just bought a house that I couldn't afford, you know, and I didn't have any real planning and purpose at that time. I, I truly was not being accountable for, you know, um, as an adult, you know, and, and just, you know, and so that was a hard lesson to learn. It was very hard because I kind of lost everything and started over again. And, you know, I think that really taught me a valuable lesson. I, you know, to never be in that situation again. And I need to hold myself accountable for goals, for metrics, for, you know, a, a vision and, and moving myself forward. I'm the only one. I have to be responsible for that. So it was, it was an important lesson early on. I did recover, as you can see. Yes, you, <laughs> did. you did well. You recovered well. Thank you. Tell me about your transition to uh, sales leadership. Would you say it was an easy transition or was it difficult? It was easy. Um, You know, I don't remember it being an actual decision to, you know, I I, I don't remember the day, like there wasn't a day or a moment or event that I said, I want to be a sales leader. But I remember always knowing that I just felt most comfortable and most fulfilled when I was kind of helping others or teaching others. So very, very early in my sales career, you know, I would get a best practice and then share it, like, like for starters, on my sales team. And I, I, I just really started to emerge always and every sales team as kind of the person, the go-to. And I... I knew at some point that I was deriving a great sense of pride from that, which made it very natural, right, for me to go, oh, of course I'm going to move into sales leadership. It, for me, you know, there are, there are people that are highly motivated, there are sales people that are highly motivated. We are, well, we're all motivated by very diff- different things. And early on, most of us are, you know, in our career motivated by money. And there, there would just was a point, right, in my career where there was a tipping of the scale, where I had done all that, I was very successful, but um, that my motivation shift shifted. And so, you know, when a, um, a the kind of the middle manager in AVP role, I remember uh, at 
all scrubs is where I was at the time opened up. I mean, I was like, of course I'm going to do this. Um, that, that does come with some challenges, you know, that transition and, um, certainly I have lots of lessons <laughs> learned and maybe, you know, um, could share those as well about becoming a first time leader. Yeah. It, it was, it, I had another pivotal moment later in my career, you know, and, um, it, it really, when you become a first time leader, what there's a natural inclination to continue doing the things you did before, right? To which is individual con contribution, right? So, so as an individual contributor, you're in control, right, of your destiny to some extent. We'll we'll, we'll say mildly in control. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. you know, and when you you know that was a lesson learned. Um, early it, 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 on as an AVP is that I found myself, I'll, I'll tell you a story, my, um, my first AVP role at Allscripts, I, you know, blew the numbers out, you know, with my team, it was, we were highly successful, number one team that year, um, quarter after quarter, it was, anyway, I was having a lot of fun, right, that sounds awesome, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And I sat down and had a performance review with my boss, right, at the time. And he said, you know, Tiffany, this is all great, but there was a but. And, you know, for me, I was like, what, there's a but? What do you mean? It was all great, right? He said, but if you want to grow as a leader, you have to figure out how to make other little Tiffany's this is not scalable. And I, you know, I remember initially being offended and not understand, you know, I, I totally was like shut to shut off to that concept. And, um, I absolutely understand at this point, you know, what yeah. my boss at the time was talking about. If you find yourself, I mean, it's hard to give up, right. That control and you have to make a pivot from caring more about yourself to care and your own performance to caring more about your team's performance. And uh, that you have to make that pivot to scale, to scale your team and, and to succeed truthfully. Yep. So I, I learned that lesson about like two years in. And, um, it, you know, I think there are doers and there are leaders. And if you're a leader and you find yourself doing, then who's leading, right? You know? And so my advice, right. To a new leader is to just get your, you know, understand that it's not about you. You have to make the pivot and start being a mentor, a coach, you know, and, and you have to figure out how to get the team to do right, to rise up and to do, um, and, and that was, again, that was a little hard lesson to learn from my boss, but he was right, he was right. <laughs> Don't you hate <laughs> that, burn it, right? Burn it. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, that's great, that is really great. Um, you took about three of the questions I normally ask, and you put them all in one great answer, I love that. 
Um, <laughs> I'm very efficient. You are super. I'm, efficient. I have a red personality, so I'm kind. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when it comes to being a sales leader, and you talked a little bit about this, I think um, part I think of being a great sales leader is you want to identify other potential great sales leaders. What's your strategy for cultivating those people within your team? So, I mean, it all starts with, um, I, I'm a firm believer that you should always constantly be uh, thinking about who could take your own job. Like I want somebody to take my job, always, you know? And I think if, if you're in that mindset, then that's the right one to be a really great leader um, versus, right, uh, being competitive with your own <laughs> team. I mean, I wanna grow people. Um, that's, that's what a good leader should, should be focused on. And so having said that, I do believe that you should constantly be assessing talent on your team. You know, I don't think a team is ever set and final and, you know, because the market changes, we, we make acquisition, acquisition, the solutions change, your, you know, your mark, whatever it is, you should be constantly assessing. And um, there are things that I assess just for you know qualities that I look for for a great great uh, you know rep team, but all of those same qualities I, would be the same, right? Things that I look for I in a great leader or a successor or you know whomever it is, and I think first of all I I believe firmly that it's, it's easier to teach skill versus talent, you know, so I do look for, you know, past success and how, how that success was derived, you know, through, um, I very specifically look for great critical thinking skills and problem solving skills. I look, you know, I mentioned before that I think one of the things that have, has helped me so much is being able to um, reach across aisles and collaborate, right? To, to get everyone on a same page to, to move a strategy forward. Super important in a sales rep. Um, I, I do for sure look for more of a team oriented person versus an I like me. And, and that doesn't say that, you know, I mean, look, there are many, many jobs that require, you know, hunters out there just, right? We got to have that. But at the end, at the end of the day, I don't believe that any deal is done alone ever. So I look for that. And those are all the same qualities that the, the, the qualities are the same. The performance then that's a different thing, the execution, right? So for a great leader, I would look for all those qualities and what did they do with them? Were they able to take all those qualities put them together and are they moving the ball forward, you know, with the team? Can I see those, you know, just like I used to kind of rise up in my team and help with best practices and, you know, volunteer for extra things. I look for those people who are naturally leading, you know, uh, without the title. And that happens all the time. There's always a leader, um, even, even at the individual, individual contributor level, you know, when you uh, uh, stepped into your current role, 
Um, can you talk a bit about your strategy? I know that's a big, you know, it can be difficult for a lot of people when you're stepping into a new company, new team, you know, what's your strategy for your first 90 days? Well, this was my first time. You, right. you, literally, you literally hit me on my first 90 days. <laughs> so uh, for those intellerators who are listening, now you're going like, to, like, we're going under the covers. Now you're going to figure out what I was doing over the, night, the last 90 days. So for me, um, the, the very, very first thing uh, I'd say is, and I, and I did this, I, I think anyone... <laughs> <laughs> Again, anyone from Intellirad that is listening, they will confirm, I'm sure. So it's very important to set the tone with the team. So number one, I believe in a very rigorous cadence for communication. And I don't vary from that. So, and that's one-on-one -on -one and team. So I right away, I come in and I set the cadence for how, how we're going to work together and communicate. And some of that's formal and a lot of it's informal, but, but that's very important, right, to establish that first. The second thing is to, through that cadence that you've just laid out, establish very clear expectations. And... Um, you know, I'm, I'm new, people are different, everyone leads in a different way, but I find that transparency and setting expectations is the best way, you know, to, to mitigate surprises. You know, no, everyone should, everybody on the team should understand what is expected and why, why it's important to, to them, to me, to the business. Um, so I do a lot of just, uh, expectation setting, but it's, it's all rooted in the why, 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 why is this important? And then um, the third thing uh, is assess talent, assess talent, assess talent, and, and provide feedback, assess feedback, assess feedback. And, um, you know, I've, I've built some great relationships in 90 days with the team who, you know, arguably wasn't so sure about this, you know, girl coming in, you know, out of nowhere. So it, it's really important to, to build, build the framework for, for communication and use it quickly, um, but get to know people and, and then start assessing skill set. And the worst thing you would want is to have people in the wrong roles, yep. you know, for long term. To create that that aggressive communication, I think a big part of that is establishing trust where people have to trust you to receive that communication, especially if it's bad news or it's not news you may want to hear. How do you go about establishing that trust? Sure. Um, it's funny you use the word news. So I have a, and I, I had this at all scripts too, and through my career, I have just my mantra, I guess, and and um, it stays with me wherever I go, and and I've passed it on to my new team here. The news is the news; it's what we do with it that matters. And so, under you know that kind of guidance, it's kind of like I need to know. I can't help you if I don't know the news. Now, it can be great news, and we can celebrate. 
And it can also be really, really bad news. And that's okay because it's not so much the news that I care about. It's knowing what our plan is to mitigate it or do something, you know, what are we going to do about it? And so that's really, uh, you know, that's how the team is run here. <laughs> you know, that's how the organization is. And so immediately I kind of laid that as the, the framework, but I also want to share something else. I personally, um, I, I do have clear and some would say high expectations. I have a rigorous cadence. You know, I had a forecast call today and the team, I got feedback from them that said, wow, what you really mean business. You know, you had a shaken up. I got, so Tiffany is all about business. However, I'm super open and vulnerable as well. And so my team knows a lot about me, about my personal life. I share, um, you know, I, I, I certainly keep boundaries, but I do think, you know, I'm a person, you know, they've seen me cry. They know about my sister. They know about, you know, I mean, those, that matters. I, I'm just a person and there are people too. And we're all trying to do what's best. And ultimately we all have the, the same goal, right? Which is help patients and help this company succeed greatly and make money. And I think the best way for me is to really, I'm always balanced between business and vulnerability. And that allows other people to be vulnerable too. I'm kind of speechless here listening to them. Like the, you hit it with the word vulnerability, I think. That is, you can't have trust without being vulnerable. Um, and, you know, if we're always going to have these shields up, you're never going to get to that level of trust. That that's awesome. Um, yeah, that wow. Um, you no, know, I make mistakes. I don't yeah. know everything. I'm new to this company. There are there are many on my team that they they know way more than I do right now. You know, yeah. so I I'm always I'm kind of asking them to hey just trust that I know how to at least get lead us. I don't know all the things all right. the time. You know, right. and. Um, it's, that's just where, you know, I, I think it's really important to have that, to build that first of all, but you only get that through honesty and vulnerability. Oh, you bet. That's how you create a team that's willing to run through a wall, you know, with you, not for you, but with you. Um, let's transition uh, a bit to talk about one of my favorite topics, CRM. Oh boy. Do you love <laughs> it or you hate it? Um. <laughs> <laughs> so, wow double-edged sword there. It is a love-hate relationship. I will tell oh, it you. It can that. be. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'm going to tell you why I hate it. And then I'll tell you why I love it. How about oh, that? Sounds great. <laughs> so I hate it. I mean, I just, you know, I hate all the things about the, you know, entering the data and just the process that's, you know, the time that's involved and all the things. And and I, I actually am speaking on behalf of the team mostly because I'm not in there. I'm not even the one in there building the quotes and, you know, forecasting and, you know, I get the output of it and I can see the pain that it causes. Yep. And that's no different here than anywhere else, you know, however, you know, I, we, we talked about earlier, making sure that everyone understands the why, why do we do these things, you know? Why, why are you making me you know, check the box in Salesforce? 
And when you do understand the why, it becomes a little bit more of a love relationship. And so, you know, we just uh, went through a really major transformation of our business systems at Intellirad, and we upgraded everything, new instance of Salesforce, new processes, new, I mean, soup to nuts, really cool. It's a lot of pain to get there. But at the end of the day, the reason I love that, and I love CRM, is because I'm going to have the data that I need to manage the business. And, and that's it. I mean, I, mean it, I don't know how else you could manage and run a very successful business and be proactive and, and think ahead and do planning without the data that's so valuable within the CRM. So there's my love-hate relationship. <laughs> yeah, no, I love it. Um, why do you think so many companies or, or salespeople, I'm gonna narrow the focus here, Salespeople, when, when you ask them, hey, what do you think about CRM? You, more times than often, you'll hear CRM sucks. Why is that from a salesperson's perspective, do you think? You know, I think that they're so wired to be just out in the field, customer focused, sell, 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 that this, it, it really does just feel like a um, administrative task that is not, you know, I don't think they're connecting the dots to how this helps me make my money. You know, so I suppose if we could, if we could connect those dots, it might be a little less painful. Um, it, it is, it is uh, likely the bane of everyone's existence in sales, but there is value, especially when you're being, you know, you're, you're measured on performance, you're measured on your pipeline and, you know, those are the types of things that I try to focus on with, you know, the, the sales team. Um, and it's good, you know, when, when their business is growing and you can see it, you know, in mm -hmm. the CRM, then that's a great thing. So yep. I, I, I think everyone, uh, you know, salespeople are wired to just be out and about, yep. which, which is, which has been really, really a struggle with COVID. Yep. <laughs> I, I can assure you. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, you kept saying you have to have your why I talk about this a lot in the podcast and with the clients we work with that when, whenever you're talking to users of CRM or really any system, um, you have to give them a reason of why their work and their interactions with the system is so important. And, and I, you said it that a lot of people, they just think, well, this is, this sucks for me, but they don't understand that the data they're putting in CRM or you're putting in CRM, we're using that to forecast. We're gonna hire off of this. We're gonna make purchase decisions off of this. We're gonna, there's a whole decision tree behind the data in CRM. And if the data sucks, all those other decisions downstream are gonna to suck too. That's right, that's and, right. Uh, so yeah, I think it's really important to, to you know expand those blinders or take them off and, and get people to really understand that it's not just about them. There's a whole bunch of people relying on the work that you're doing in that CRM, but it also at the same time, it's got to help them. And uh, so when you guys were going through this big uh, uh, reconfiguration of your CRM, were there certain things that you guys were doing or strategies to make it easier or better for your sales team? Uh, of course. And, and I would say, I mean, the end result, you know, of, of this, transformation, it, 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 it will be, it is incredible. Um, when you think about, you know, contract to cash and, and, and how 
now we have a, a, a workflow, you know, soup to nuts, right, through that process that, quite honestly, if working right, then it helps the sales rep, right? It helps so many people who yep. previously were, you know, fighting those fires and escalations or manual processes, et cetera. So there's a lot of value in it. And, you know, we're thrilled that we, it, it was a major milestone for our company um, just recently too. So the, the one thing I would say, you know, that uh, would be key is, you know, for, for others, right, who are going through a similar transformation, uh, specifically on their CRM, is just, just do make sure that sales, that voice of sales, and more importantly, the voice of the client is at the table when you're, when you're planning and designing and building. The one thing that you have to make sure you can accomplish at the end of all this transformation is that, do, you know, does the system support the way that we have to sell and the way a client buys? You know, um, it's no good if we just put a bunch of, you know, processes in place and then they don't map to, you know, our entire sales strategy. So it, it is, it has been a, an interesting learning process even here to, to recognize the connection between those things. Yes. It's super important. That last part you said gets left out of the equation a lot. We're so focused on how we sell. We don't think about how's the customer want to buy from us. Right. And are right. we making it easy for them to buy from us? Or are we putting in, you know, unintentional roadblocks or obstacles that are making it harder or slower to buy from us? That's awesome. Well, we are, at our end time here on Sales Lead Doc, Tiffany, it has been great listening to you. I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your insights. If people want to reach out and connect with you and uh, to just connect with you or to learn more about Intellirad, what's the best way for them to do that? Oh, sure. I would love that. Um, the more, the merrier, right? I love new connections. So uh, they can find me on LinkedIn or tiffany.masenchek at Intellirad.com would do it too. That's awesome. Yeah. And all that will be in the show notes. So again, thank you so much for coming on Sales Lead Dog. It's been great. It's been my pleasure. Thanks so much. As we end this discussion on Sales Lead Dog, be sure to subscribe to catch all our episodes. On social media, follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Watch the videos on YouTube. And you can also find our episodes on our website at impellercrm.com forward slash sales lead dog sales lead dog is supported by impeller crm delivering objectively better crm for business guaranteed